0: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all in one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code LEFT. Now, welcome to the award winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from All In With Chris Hayes, The Young Turks, The Media Matters Minute, The Majority Report, and Joss Whedon. And hell, let's call it Ladies' Night. All the women listening get this episode for free to help make up for that whole wage gap thing. You're welcome.
1: The calendar with a number of days since a Republican said something offensive about women was reset back to zero. With former governor of Arkansas, Mike Huckabee, stepping up to the plate to remind everyone why the Republican Party has such a hard time with the ladies. Women I know are outraged that the Democrats think that women are nothing more than helpless and hopeless creatures whose only goal in life is to have the government provide for them birth control medication. Women I know are smart educated, intelligent, capable of doing anything that anyone else can do. You could say the Republican Party has a problem with women.
2: Even when life begins in that horrible situation of rape, that it is uh, something that God intended to happen. If it's a legitimate rape, uh,
3: the female body has ways to try to shut that whole thing down. Back in my days, they used bare aspirin for contraceptives. The gals put it between their knees.
1: And it's not just rhetoric. In states and in courts across the country, Republicans are pushing to criminalize abortion, restrict access to birth control, and limit women's access to basic health care services. All genuinely radical positions that have led to actual policies that have made women's lives worse. And all of those positions and policies have translated into a real problem at the polls. Women aged 30 to 49, new moms, young mothers. You can't have a gender gap of, as Nora pointed out, 19 percent and expect to be elected to a national party. You'll often hear from conservatives there is no war on women. Republicans just need to learn how to talk to them.
4: Republicans are being counseled to run against women. The
2: GOP is teaching its male candidates messaging <laughs> against female opponents not to use phrases like Todd Aiken did, a legitimate rape. Apparently, that
1: lesson didn't quite sink in. Just ask the guy headlining today's RNC winter meeting. And if the Democrats want to insult the women of America by making them believe that they are helpless without Uncle Sugar coming in and providing for them a prescription each month for birth control because they cannot control their libido or their reproductive system without the help of the government, then so be it. That's just the latest example this week of the Republican Playlist for the Ladies. Meet Congressman Steve Pierce of New Mexico. He's offering up marriage tips in his new book, The Wife is to Voluntarily Submit. Just as the husband is to lovingly lead and sacrifice, the husband's part is to show up during the times of deep stress, take the leadership role, and be accountable for the outcome, blaming no one else. Then there's former governor Haley Barber. Here's how he described the mayor of Hoboken. This is a lady mayor who asked for $142, $127 million of hazard mitigation money from the governor. On second thought... There's certainly no difference between a lady mayor and a
2: man mayor, except in this this Christie story, the first person was a mayor who happened to be a man, the second person was a mayor who happened to be a lady, and you don't want to get them mixed up.
1: Thankfully, another conservative looked past
5: gender on the matter. The lieutenant governor seems a little bit more at home with makeup than the mayor. Uh, is there anything to learn from that? I'm just asking. But
1: perhaps the most personal and nasty invective from the GOP this week has been directed towards Wendy Davis, a Democrat from Texas who is running for governor. Her 11-hour filibuster of an anti-abortion bill that eventually passed turned her into something of a feminist icon. And target number one for conservatives who nicknamed her Abortion Barbie. So when the Dallas Morning News published a profile this week revealing that, gasp, her husband helped pay for her college, the knives came out. This Wendy Davis
5: out of uh, Texas is a, is, is a genuine head case.
6: She was neither supporting her family nor raising her kids. She married a sugar daddy.
2: So, yeah, the suggestion that she pulled herself up by her stilettos and made it through
1: uh, Harvard Law School doesn't exactly jibe with the fact that her husband, her, her then-husband, paid for it all. The Republicans' biggest problem with female voters is that Republicans keep haphazardly telling the truth about their worldview. And if you think they have trouble controlling themselves now, just wait until they're running against Hillary Clinton.
6: Speaking to David Gregory about Mike Huckabee's speech, where he was talking about contraception and how Democrats think that women can't control their libidos unless they take contraception. Well, during that interview, he decided to comment a little bit on this war on women and whether or not it really exists. Take a look.
2: We have a lot of debates in Washington that get dumbed down and are used for political purposes. This whole sort of war on women thing, I'm scratching my head because if there was a war on women, I think they won. Uh, You know, the women in my family are incredibly successful. I have a a niece at Cornell Vet School and 85% of the young people there are women. In law school, 60% are women. In med school, 55%. Uh, My younger sisters in OBGYN with six kids and doing great. You know, I, I don't see so much that women are downtrodden i see women rising up and doing great things and in fact i worry about our, uh, about our young men sometimes because i think the women are really are out competing the men in our world
6: All right, so let me jump in. First of all, I love that he's using anecdotal evidence here to make his point, like, what? Everyone in my bubble is really, really successful. Everyone in my privileged bubble is doing really well. What is everyone complaining about, right? And then he decides to take two completely different issues and just kind of mash them together, right? So just because, yes, it's true, there are more women going to college now, there are more women going to uh, get their higher degrees than men at this point, they are out-competing men at this point, that's not to say that Republicans haven't launched a war against women and if you don't believe me let me give you some really interesting information about what happened with reproductive rights okay uh, according to Elise Hoag, she's the president for NARAL that's a pro-choice uh, organization uh, in 2013 once again we saw a litany of attacks against reproductive freedom in state legislatures across the country in an environment of constant attacks on reproductive freedom we play a lot of defense when it comes to reproductive rights there's been cuts in funding mandatory waiting periods uh, funding pregnancy. pregnancy. Pregnancy crisis centers instead of actual uh, clinics where women can get their reproductive health. Mandatory ultrasounds, 20-week bans. In some states, less than 20 weeks. Um, Idaho, Kansas, North Dakota, and Texas have spent a combined... $3,228,000 defending anti-abortion laws over the past several years. Uh, Over the last three years, state legislatures have enacted 205 restrictions on reproductive rights. In 2011, about 92 laws passed. 2012, 42. 2013, 70. Um, And if you look at states with compromised abortion rights, uh, in 2000, there were about 13 states that had very strict, restrictive abortion rights. In 2013, that jumped up to 27.
7: So let's just get into just a tiny bit of specifics in some of those laws. Because if you say, hey, look, that's reproductive rights, okay, but somebody can be pro life, pro choice, that doesn't mean they're necessarily against women. Well, how about the law that they try to pass in the House, the Republicans did, saying that if you're having a medical emergency and a, and a hospital that gets government money doesn't want to treat you for their religious reasons, not your religious reasons, their religious reasons, uh, not only do they not have to treat you, even though you're in the middle of a medical emergency, you might die because of the complications in your pregnancy. But they don't even have to transfer you to another hospital. They put you by the curb and let you die. Okay. Now that's not hey pro life pro choice. That's we don't give a damn about you. And if you're going to bleed out in front of our hospital, well, too bad for you because I've got different morals than you do. Mm-hmm. And my I think that my Bible says that you you know your Bible doesn't say let women die in front of the hospital. By the way, okay, which but, is a
6: very pro life, right? Yeah.
7: But my interpretation of that. Is if you're a woman and you've got that problem, that's your problem. See, that would be a warm woman. In South uh, Dakota, the Republicans try to pass a law that if you're uh, getting an abortion, that someone related to you, a man related to you, can come in and kill the abortion doctor, and it would be justifiable homicide. Okay, so I mean, it's not just taking away reproductive rights. It's extreme. There's a the forced ultrasounds throughout the country. You think women want forced ultrasounds? See, they're forced. They're not mm-hmm. voluntary. If they wanted an ultrasound, they could ask for one, right? See, that would be the war on women. So now, Rand Paul, I think, Anna, you're 100% right. Saying, yeah. look, everybody in my rich family is doing well. yeah Oh, is that right, Rand? Thank you. We appreciate that. And you're right, and I agree with you. I think women are doing great in education, right? And I think I, I, there's a small part that I agree with, Rand Paul. Men got to pick it up a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. educational success, etc. But that doesn't mean that the Republicans aren't. Trying to keep down women in different ways. In fact, he didn't even say that. what he, if you listen carefully, he's saying if there is a war on women, women are winning. Like he's lamenting that the Republican war on women isn't really working, yeah. and women are winning anyway. Yeah. God damn it! Yeah, now, he didn't say god damn it. He painted it in a positive light, right? But he never acknowledged I mean he never denied that they have a war on
6: right, absolutely. And you know, just going back to what you said, Jake, about how okay, some of you might not be that concerned about reproductive rights, you don't consider that as something that uh... is a war on women well think about something like the violence against women act which would protect women who are victims of domestic violence yet last year it barely passed and the only reason why it passed was because uh... democrats had to fight tooth and nail it it had expired more than a year before they finally uh, reinstated it and uh... if you looked at the house specifically there were one hundred thirty-eight republicans that voted against the violence against women act in twenty thirteen and if you look at both the senate and the house there were 149 Republican men who voted against it and 10 Republican women who voted against it.
7: All right, and one last thing so to give you a sense that this is not just about uh, violence against women, it's not just about reproductive rights. The Lily Ledbetter Act, it was the first thing that President Obama pushed through Congress. Okay, and so what Lily Ledbetter had uh, had happened to her is that she realized that she was not getting paid the same pay for the same exact job as guys. For all of this time that she'd been working, be a really long time. And when she went to the, the courts, the court said, ha ha, the statute of limitations ran out on it. In other words, they started discriminating against you a long time ago, and you should have brought suit early. But she said, I didn't know. I, I didn't know they were discri- I just found out they were discriminating against me, right? And the court said, nope, sorry. Since they kept a secret from you, you're not allowed to sue. Now, the Democrats went to go fix that. The Republicans said, no, we don't want to fix that. We want an employer to have the right to pay women less and keep it secret. Mm-hmm. And if they kept the secret effectively, then, ha ha, women will get paid less for all that time, all those decades. They'll get paid less and we won't have to give them a die. Now, gee, I wonder if that's a war on women or not. And Democrats, to their rare credit, did the right thing in that mm-hmm. case and said, no, if a woman is, can show to you that she did the same job, Of course, you should be able to demand the same amount of money. So, the Republicans literally say if you're a woman, you should not get paid the same amount. Or that, to be fair, whether you should or shouldn't is up to the employer, right? And if he doesn't want to pay you, he should be able to get away with that. Now, how is that not a war on women?
8: This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Samantha Wyatt. Congresswoman Michelle Bachman recently told Fox's Bill O'Reilly she wasn't sure America was ready for a female president. The next night, O'Reilly hosted Kirsten Powers and Kate Openchain to follow up.
2: There's got to be some downside to having a woman president, right? Something, something that that may not fit with that office, correct?
6: Hmm, I'm going to say no, Bill.
2: So there's no no downside to having a woman and... Just
8: just because you're female that it would something... O'Reilly's guests might have been from opposite ends of the political spectrum, but they both dismissed his question as ridiculous.
2: There's got to be a downside for a woman. Do you know one? uh... you know i'm having a tough time with this one too bill i think that depends on the individual of course there's a downside to certain individual women Um you know but just in like general a- you both don't see any don't gender deficiency women to leave men. the free world
9: If you want to prove uh, Ms. Hess' point, simply put this interview on the internet and read the comments. I, 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 yeah.
4: Oh no, the comments were Uh, were happening. The comments on our live
10: stream. There's our listeners who listen to the show every day on our YouTube live stream. Majority Report live, and I am in shock at some of the things that are being said. Yes,
9: it it pretty much comes down to. But what about the poor men? What about the men? Uh, but I don't think it's just feminists who have this problem. Uh, read some of the comments on your videos criticizing Alex Jones. Yes, but with that said, I think it really, you know, it's of a different sort because, uh, yes, the Alex Jones, uh, my, you know, fans have a particular, um, uh, bent to them. I think the, the difference is, is that, there's nothing. I, just about everything else I comment on, I get nothing like that, and um, and even those comments, for the main uh, most part. I mean, it's one thing. Like, yeah, as a Zionist Jew run Jew Jew, but it's not even as sort of uh, personal. I, I I've gotten comments that are just like, I've gotten some pretty threatening uh, stuff over the years, but uh, you know, not in the not, stuff. not in the same degree or amount. There, there's then and, and, and I will say this, to the extent that I have gotten those, it's not like they always just bounce off of me. I mean, there are moments where it's like, hey, wait a second, uh, this is a little disturbing, and more so particularly since I've been a father. But um, so I can only imagine if I was to get a tsunami of these things like um, many of these women do. What that would do to my ability to turn out content. Um, I mean, which is why I, you know, wanted to make sure that I congratulated uh, Amanda Hess, and and I think to a certain extent we should also have a certain appreciation for all women who are subjected uh, to this online. I mean, just a, a, a rolling appreciation sort of. I mean, there, there's certainly a difference in, in, in the comments
10: when someone is saying to, to someone who puts something out there, like, you're, you're, this sucks, you're a failure, no one will miss you when you die. And then what, the, what a lot of women
9: get, which is, I am going to find right, you right. and rape you and kill you. Right. I don't know if this anecdote is precisely what your guest is talking about, but a woman who works for GameSpot wrote a review for GTA 5 where she criticized it for misogyny. She subsequently deluged by a campaign and presumably dudes trying to get her fired. Despite still giving the game a nine out of ten score, uh, I I think the the type of response that our guest was talking about was more of the nature of sort of personal oh, no, that that misogynist. But it intersects. That, no, that
10: one that one I think was even worse actually oh, yeah. because I believe the reviewer was actually transgender. Oh wow!
4: But even but but where it intersects and where the the. Legal implications are interesting as to at what point does this become an infringement on employment and work? That's what she was talking about. And there's a direct connection there between literally a crusade to have somebody fired because they exercise. They did their job as a writer.
9: I mean, look, I'm not as bothered by that as long as it's not oriented towards um, uh, her being a woman.
4: Well, I mean, in, in that case, in a lot of these cases, it's kind of inseparable. I hear what you're saying. And there's nothing wrong well, per no. se. I mean,
9: I think the issue is the issue that, that, that uh, Amanda Hess was writing about and, and, and when she was talking about that uh, a professor was talking about this as being a, a sort of a, a discriminatory is that if women have to shut their computers or get off Twitter. Or have to hesitate to write certain things because of the fact that they're a woman,
4: like a review of Grand Theft Auto, where you raise some of the issues. But a it.
9: but a male could have written the misogynist and gotten the same. uh... It just I don't on know the that there would have been a attacks. campaign to get
4: their well, job That's, that's all I'm decipher. saying.
9: Yes, Radio Ag host telling women to get off of Twitter or close their laptops is essentially equivalent to saying, "Well, maybe you shouldn't be there anyways." Eggnog Queen, yeah, and 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 some of it is sort of like maybe you had it coming. Uh Eggnog Queen, amazing interview today. I'm also a writer online and personally harassing comments I get from men boil down to know your role. These guys just want to know uh that in their minds women are just the property of men. The further uh women advance, the more these men lash out with threats of violence. You know, it's interesting because I, I really wonder, like the the most sort of I don't wade into comment sections too much, but for uh on YouTube sometimes. Um I just don't, I don't have the time unless somebody specifically says, look at these comments. I like how you just said, yeah,
10: I don't really check out the comment sections online so much except for the very worst ones.
9: Well, I mean, just because we have a YouTube channel, I'm just curious. That's no, one, I know. one of the primary places where we get comments from people who are not sort of uh, regular listeners. But I know that on YouTube, my sense is, is that and maybe this is just I, – I, I, it's not founded on any data. So – that that the audience is is younger. And I just I wonder how much I mean that's what I'm really interested in is how much of the cohort that will do street harassment is the same cohort that will do it online? And what do they share demographically speaking? Like is it younger? I mean are these just like sort of like teenage boys who and I'm not diminishing the the implications of the threat because there's first of all for the victim there 's no way for them to know second of all, what does it matter teenage boys uh can be just as as threatening um, but are the are, are the threats coming from you know um, teenagers who are acting out is it coming from men who have sort of some type of like R- repressed hatred that this is uh, if I can expro- express this anonymously it's easier for me to compartmentalize now, how sort of deranged are these people I would say I'm, I'm
10: tell- I, I I truthfully think it's a mix of everything it just depends where you go online I mean you would you, yeah. on YouTube yes the audience is definitely younger it's probably more so these teenagers saying these horrible things Right. but I mean if you go on some news article that's covering some sort of right. rape case or same thing you have grown men defending you right. know right. The- these these terrible acts and you have these grown men attacking women. Right.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think just by looking at Matt's work with public shaming alone, <laughs> right. you know that these come from like every Yeah, it's a good time to...
10: What is the name of the Tumblr blog? Publicshaming.tumblr.com public sh- Yeah,
9: check that out if you want to uh, see how disgusting some people are. Jabberwocky. Telling women to get off the internet to avoid harassment is like telling women to wear a burqa or be escorted by a male guardian to avoid street harassment. Sundanista, your guess is right on about the abuse issue being a society-wide problem. The internet and other media simply broadens the number of abuses. I recall how actress Anna Gunn wrote about receiving death threats and simply for playing the antagonistic white wife on Breaking Bad. <clears throat> I remember. I mean, actresses I've worked with in um, you know back in the day uh, were always very leery about like having magazines around with their address on it. I mean, it's a concern.
0: Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional websites and online portfolios. With a keen eye for design and a forward-looking vision of the internet, they help you build websites that you'll be proud of today but will also allow you to evolve with the future. They're constantly adding new templates and designs as well as integrating new technologies to work seamlessly with your website. The latest additions include Pinterest and SoundCloud, so whether you have wares to sell and you want to make it really easy for people to pin images of all your great stuff, or you have sounds to share, it has never been easier to use these powerful tools right in your Squarespace website. Of course, these are just the tip of the iceberg, so you can try the service for free for 14 days. That way, you get to check out everything it's possible to do with Squarespace and see just how they're able to meet your specific needs. Then, when you're ready to sign up, be sure to use the special offer code LEFT. That's just L-E-F-T, which gets you 10% off your purchase, and that code also lets them know that you're supporting this show at the same time.
1: Ram Paul is on a mission to talk some sense into people like myself and others who keep talking about the Republican Party waging a war on women. Yesterday, Paul appeared on both Meet the Press and CNN to defend the GOP. And I will give this to him. He did successfully make it through not one but two entire interviews without saying libido or Uncle Sugar. He even avoided making unfortunate comments like this.
5: I'm going to be very blunt. The, the left tries to win the women's vote by talking from the waist down.
1: And Paul managed to avoid Allen West territory, but what he did do was make an argument, essentially, that there is no war on women because there are women in his own family who are doctors and going to school to be veterinarians. Or, as his colleague Haley Barber might say, lady vets. Who to thunk?
2: This whole sort of war on women thing, I'm scratching my head because if there was a war on women, I think they won. Uh, you know, the women in my family are incredibly successful. I have a, a niece at Cornell Vet School, and 85% of the young people there are women. My younger sisters in OB-GYN with six kids and doing great. I have a lot of successful women in my family, and I don't hear them saying, oh, woe is me, this terrible, you know, misogynist world, they they look out and they're conquering the world. The women in my family are doing great, and that's what I see in all the statistics coming out. Now, Rand Paul is right that, yes, over the past several decades,
1: there have been massive historical strides in women's educational attainment. What Paul didn't mention when talking about all the successful women in the Paul family is that at every single educational level, women still make less in real wages than men by a lot. This is the chart for real wages for men by different educational level, and this is that same chart for women. As you can see, from a high school education to a graduate degree all the way up to PhD, women are making less than men. But perhaps the most important and deliberate omission from Paul was any mention of women's reproductive rights. Rand Paul and others on the right prefer to talk about women's equality in the workplace as a distinct issue that has nothing to do with whether or not women can control their own bodies. Right now, the Democrats are making the argument the two cannot be separated, and that argument has been resonating with women for very good reason. Not least of which is that while Rand Paul may want to go on Meet the Press and not talk about abortion or reproductive choice, He's a very clear record on the issue. In 2009, the AP wrote that Paul opposes abortion without exception, not even in cases of rape, incest, or the health of the expectant mother. In 2010, he filled out a questionnaire for the Kentucky Right to Life Association, reaffirming that he opposes abortion in cases of rape and incest. In 2011, he tried to hold up a flood insurance bill with a fetal personhood amendment to recognize life begins at conception. And last year, he introduced a similar bill, the Life at Conception Act, which would give fertilized eggs the same legal rights as people, effectively outlawing abortion. This week, the House is expected to vote on the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act, a bill that could effectively ban abortion coverage through the new health care exchanges, not just with taxpayer dollars, but just with private money in those exchanges. And you know who's one of the original co-sponsors of that bill? None other than Rand Paul, who boasts on his website that I'm 100% pro-life and proud to be an original co-sponsor of the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act in the Senate.
11: This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Hillary Tone. A report by Maria Shriver in the Center for American Progress showed that closing the gender pay gap would add billions to the economy and cut the poverty rate among women and their families in half. On Fox News' The O'Reilly Factor, host Bill O'Reilly questioned whether the Shriver report was a big deal, asking his guest Kirsten Powers what the point is to drawing attention to the gender wage gap.
6: There's still in- income inequality that women are making, I think, 77 cents on the dollar as compared to men, so I consider that to be a pretty serious issue.
2: Do you think the government should guarantee uh, equal wages?
8: Well, I don't think there's a, really any way that they could guarantee equal so wages, So then what's the point? Think-
2: of what is this just a PR campaign?
8: O'Reilly questioning the government guaranteeing equal wages ignores
11: the fact that pay discrimination based on gender is illegal and entirely different from guaranteeing equal wages.
7: Now, President Obama, during the State of the Union, uh, talked about women's rights, like, for example, uh, equal pay for an equal job. Now, was he laying a trap for the Republicans? That's what we're going to discuss. First, I want you to watch what he said.
5: But they still make seventy-seven cents for every dollar a man earns.
0: That is wrong. And in twenty fourteen, it's an embarrassment. Women deserve equal pay for equal work. It is time to do away with workplace policies that belong in a madman episode. This year, let's
2: all come together. Congress, the White House businesses from Wall Street to Main Street to give every woman the opportunity she deserves because I
7: believe when women succeed America succeeds Oh God that was such a great trap okay number one he makes the madman reference and so that's a pop culture reference that he knows the media is going to love and they ate it up like oh madman man oh how oh, oh, was it madman oh he's so cool so they all start talking about hey you know war on women equal wages said number two as you saw at the end of that clip there's a bunch of Republicans sitting on their hands like oh we're not going to (laughs) clap you idiots you have to at least pretend that you want women to have the same wages as men so you should be like yeah 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 good I mean of course I'm going to vote against that don't get me wrong but no they look like and that doesn't look good but that's just the beginning of the trap his real effort is to goad the Republicans to talk about this issue more and, you know, here comes Fox News. Obama was like, whoosh, whoosh. "Fox get like, oh, totally reeled him in." Here comes Tucker Carlson, Martha mccollum They're going to talk to Alan Combs. Go. But the truth is, the numbers don't back up what he said. In fact, what he said is ridiculous. If you adjust
1: for time that women take off voluntarily to raise children, they make more than men. You, you noted they graduate from high school and college at much higher rates. They also live longer.
7: Oh. Mission accomplished. So here's Tucker Carlson saying, "Like women, you don't get paid more, but you get pregnant and you live longer, and you still want to get paid more." Look, whatever the numbers are, and I'm going to get to the numbers on because that 77 cent number is deceiving, but there are real numbers that I'm going to get to. Whatever the numbers are, it looks bad. When when you have conservatives out there going, oh, women, now you want more? We let you work when you get pregnant and you get to live and now you're still crying about it? You just walk right into his bear trap. I mean, it, it was like a red wedding, except the conservatives come and shoot themselves with crosshairs, crossbows. Look, yeah. The <laughs> Republican Party is not doing much to attract more women voters. The bottom Who cares line about is,
1: the Republican Party? How about reality? You do, you're,
7: you're not, you're
2: not, you always say that, Tucker, but you are, you do support you've Republicans. You've got to be kidding. You support the Republican think, Party.
1: Don't tell I me think you I think don't. the Republican pandering <laughs> to women is nauseating. Why want to just okay. tell the
7: truth. Oh, <laughs> Okay. So, listen, think about it, right? Listen to what he said at then. Republican pandering to women is nauseating. So, wh- what does that tell you about the Republican Party? They view women as the other. Like we'd have to pander to them because obviously we're not them, right? Now, theoretically, women should be fifty percent of the Republican Party. They don't have to pander to them. They are them, right? So, for example, would the Republican Party ever say, "Ha, huh, you know, the Republican Party pandering to white men is nauseating"? No, they are white men. <laughs> Right? So, they wouldn't have to pander to them. It's who they are, right? So, by setting the framing that way, you're helping Obama make the case that women aren't really part of your party. Nice job, Tucker. As usual, you hit it out of the park. Now, here comes Martha McCollum to do more damage.
2: It is at the heart of this it is whether or not, you know, it's you know, the victim, the poor woman who we need to make sure she gets what she deserves. You know, a lot of the women that you're referring to who don't, a lot of women voluntarily don't come back. To work after they have children. They made that choice. I'm not saying that there aren't a lot of areas where there can be work done uh, to make sure that things are more fair for men and women in the workplace. However, you know that the numbers when you look at them do not bear out that there's that there's a war on women in the workplace. I, I think, you know, when you take a look at this, I, I think most women do not want to be treated as sort of a special class of citizens. Absolutely. They want to go to work every day, sure. they want to get paid for being a professional, for doing their job really well, and they don't want to be created like some group of people who have to be you know given a little special handout just to right. make sure that they're okay it's not special you handout; know. it's equality it's equal pay for equal work
7: it's having said many leave. It's women get paid leave.
2: exactly you know ex- exactly what they're worth Alan
7: here they go again so you remember Peter Schiff the other day on the Daily Show said yeah you know maybe I pay a mentally retarded person two dollars an hour you know you pay them what they're worth so here comes Martha McCollum to so say you pay women what they're worth if they get less maybe that's what they deserve basically look What Alan Combs was trying to explain to these thick headed people is we're not saying you need to have special privileges or special status. Like, I'm reminded of the Irish. You know, at at some point in our history, in American history, the Irish were not allowed to get some jobs, right? There was tremendous discrimination against the Irish. If at that point they said, look, we'd like to be able to get a job, to turn around and say, oh, I guess the Irish want special privileges. No, they want the privileges everybody else has, the ability to get a job. It's the same here. Women don't want special privileges. They just don't want to be discriminated against and get paid less for the same job, right? So Martha McCollum is totally wrong there, but she works on Fox News, so that's not surprising. So now, what is the reality of it? Look, they use the number 77 cents uh, for every dollar. So a woman gets paid that as opposed to the man's dollar. Now, that is a little misleading, and you can even say deceptive, right? Because it's not for the same job. It's overall. Now, of course, uh, what fields women go into make a big difference, how long they stay in those fields, et cetera. All those things are factors and lead to that number. But when you look at the same field, oftentimes you get the same results. For example, in uh, the medical field, Women doctors make, on average, fifty thousand dollars less than male doctors. Now, again, there there's a little bit of an issue because there's some self-selection with women who choose to go into different lines of medicine. Okay. Now, some might say, hey, maybe they didn't choose as much as they were shepherded in those. But I'll put that aside. But still, fifty thousand is a big number. But when you look at it in aggregate, and they have, they've looked at studies here, and they say yes, the Professions that women choose are a certain percentage factor. And then, you know, there's a list of other factors that are taken into account, and they account for a certain percentage of the difference between men and women. But 41% are due to, quote, unexplainable by measurable factors. Meaning that once you control for gender, racial, economic, uh, and field differences, you still have 41% of that disparity that cannot be explained. So that appears to be the actual difference between men and women, which, by the way, is not 40% in salary. Understand, it's 40% of the difference of that extra $0.23 that men make. So I know there was some math involved there. The bottom line is, yes, men still do make more money for the same job. Okay, now when you get to the top of the ladder, by the way, Funny enough, it doesn't get any better. Yes, w- female CEOs make a ton of money, but all CEOs make a ton of money. And in fact, there was just a recent study done on that by Bloomberg News. And they make female CEOs 18% on average less than male CEOs. So even when you get to the very top and you've shattered every you know, glass ceiling there is, you're still going to make 18% less. In uh, Pharmaceutical companies, uh, there's a female executive that's at the very top. At one of those companies, she makes 33% the, less than the average of her male peers. Uh, in Campbell's Soup, they have a female CEO. She gets paid very handsomely, but she makes 25% less than the same CEOs in the same industry, in the food industry. So, yes, there's still an issue. And when Fox News goes and set, pretends that there isn't an issue and insults women while they're doing so, all they're doing is helping the Democrats and President Obama uh, in this issue that they're never going to win, right? Because they're not on the right side of it. Look, one last thing to give you a sense of why they're not on the right side of it. it nobody's saying, hey, go and say, okay, to every employer, this is what you should pay a man and a woman, and we're going to dictate that, right? But, for example, the Lilly Ledbetter Act said, hey, you know what? If a woman is discriminated against at work, if she could prove it in a court of law, don't run the statute of limitations on her for stuff she didn't know about. Run the statute of limitations, which is normal, like the amount of time you have to bring a case, once she finds out about the discrimination. Now, the court ruled the other way and said, nope, nope, nope. If they started doing the discrimination a long time ago and she never found out about it, ha ha, too late, you can't bring that suit. That is obviously unjust to women. So the Democrats passed the Lily Ledbetter law saying that women should be able to get a redress of those grievances. When they can prove that they have been discriminated against. And the Republicans overwhelmingly voted against it. That's what they mean by the war on women. So the Republicans look at that and go, no, I'd rather protect the corporations than give women an equal pay, even though they can prove in a court of law that they deserve it.
0: Reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism, Stop Michael Boggs Confirmation. Feminism and reproductive justice are both about more than abortion access, much more. They're about equality, full bodily autonomy, control over one's destiny, economic equity, justice, and the inclusive philosophy on life and health. President Obama has a mixed record on these tenets, mostly blaming an intransigent group of Republicans in Congress. They've made passing even routine traditionally non-political legislation a headache, but in one area, the President and his administration have nearly sole control. With the filibuster changes in the Senate approving judicial nominees, and filling the unprecedented number of vacancies in our country's overburdened court system is now a relative breeze. This makes the nomination of Michael Boggs, currently a Georgia appeals court judge and former Georgia state legislator, particularly baffling. As reported by Jessica Mason Piccolo, R.H. Reality Check Senior Legal Analyst, the Obama administration agreed to appoint three nominees pre-approved by Georgia Republican senators to the Federal District Court of Georgia. In exchange, Republicans agreed to end their filibuster of the nomination of Jill Pryor to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. So, Obama got one confirmation, and in return, Republican Senators Saxby Chambliss and Johnny Isaacson get to pick three. Yes, it's as lopsided as it sounds— In response to this deal, a coalition of 27 groups, including NARAL Pro-Choice America, Human Rights Campaign, Democracy for America, Move On, and Progressive Change Campaign Committee, have joined with Congressman John Lewis and other civil rights leaders in Georgia, calling for the president to withdraw Boggs' nomination. You can add your voice by contacting your legislators through the NARAL and Move On prepared email forms via their websites and in our segment notes. This nomination is of particular importance, and all of our voices are needed to stop Boggs from being confirmed. As Piccolo explains... Georgia is part of the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, a federal circuit that includes Alabama and Florida. Federal and state courts in this jurisdiction alone will consider the constitutionality of state level reproductive rights challenges, attacks on immigrant rights, voting rights, and stand your ground laws. Having a judge who opposed the removal of the Confederate emblem from the Georgia state flag, co-sponsored numerous anti-choice bills, and voted against marriage equality would shift an already conservative court further to the right. Boggs is an affront to every aspect of feminism, and more broadly, progressivism. In the words of NARAL President Elise Hoag, quote, Judicial appointments to the federal bench may be the most significant legacy a president leaves behind. These lifetime appointees have incredible power and often provide the final word on questions of constitutional law, including those of equality, rights, and justice. Michael Boggs actually believes that there is one definition of what it means to live your life as an American. The thing is, that's anti-American.
10: Activism.
8: From in front of the television Bust out of your self-imposed media prison There's a whole big world out there, y'all And some serious stuff is going down Civil war intolerance, AIDS obliteration The usual madness, but not enough frustration About what's troubling Earth's nations The spotlight will not be your savior in these dark days And it will not be your saving grace Why not replace your dreams of gracing life's stage?
11: With action. I hate feminists. Is action. this a good time to bring that up? <laughs> is, this, is this the right forum for that? Um, um, I, I hope I'm being clear. I didn't say I hate feminists. That would be weird. I said I hate feminist. Um, I'm talking about the word. Um, I, I have the privilege of living my life inside of words. And... Part of being a writer is creating entire universes, and that's beautiful. But part of being a writer is also living in the very smallest part of every word. If you're writing a sentence, or rewriting, or just doing a little punch-up, and you're looking for something with just a, that's a little clearer, a little more evocative, or funnier, or just more mellifluous, um, just the sounds, the syllables, even underneath the meaning, just the glory of the, the way, the resonance, the sounds, these these things, it's uh, it's intoxicating, especially if you're unimpressive at, at sports. Um, but uh, but the word feminist, um, it, 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 it doesn't sit with me. It doesn't add up. And I I, I want to talk about my problem that I have with it. Um, first of all, on a very base level, just to listen to it, um, because it starts. Uh, okay, we start with femme. Just good. I think that's promising. Fem, you, know, uh, you know, it's nice but it's strong. F is a very porous letter. It's sort of it's, you know, very inclusive. You know, it's, you're know, you ready to grow there. Um, it's not too wimpy. It's not like, you know, some girl from Lord of the Rings whose name is like I mean, it's, it's got some, there's some meat there. We, we can work with this. Okay. And we go to in. Fem in. Okay not as impressive but they can't all be roses turn sometimes you got to just get from A to B. So we let in go. Ist. Hate it. Hate it. Fail on ist. It's just it's just this little dark black little you, I mean must be hist. Ist. It's you know, Germanic but not in the romantic way. It's just this it's this terrible ending this, is this wonderful beginning. This word for me is so unbalanced it's like just tonally it's like watching a, a video time-lapse video of, of fresh bread being put in the oven and burnt. That's, a, right? that's and, and I think that's universal, right? I mean, we were all having the, the video bread thing, right? That's, that's not just me. But, and it bugs me that I don't love the word more because there are other words that, that sound so welcoming and lovely. Taliban. No... Oh so good. That sounds like, you know, we're going to Bora Bora and then we're off to the Taliban Islands with the white sands, you know. The Broughton Smythes came by. We had a rather exciting game of Taliban on the back lawn. You know, it sounds, it's jolly and fun and it shouldn't be. It's not fair. We got feminist um, and, and our ist. Um, and let's, let's, let's go back to this ist, okay? Let's, let's, let's rise up a little bit from my obsession with sound to the meaning. Ist, in its meaning, is also a problem for me, Okay, Because you can't be born an ist, Okay, It's not natural. You can't be born a Baptist, you have to be baptized. You can't be born an atheist or a communist or a horticulturalist. You have to have these things brought to you. So feminist includes the idea that Believing men and women to be equal, believing all people to be people, is not a natural state. That we don't emerge assuming that everybody in the human race is a human. That the idea of equality is just an idea that's imposed on us, that we are indoctrinated with, that it's an agenda. And that's when I realize what my problem is. Well, one of my problems. Um my problem with feminists, it's not the word. it's the question. it's the question, are you a femi- Are you now or have you ever been a feminist?" <laughs> the great Katy Perry once said, um, uh, I, I, i'm paraphrasing, but you know I'm not a feminist, but you know I like it when women are strong um, That's lovely, Katie. don't know why she feels the need to say that, the um, first part. But but listening to the word and thinking about it, I realize, yes, I do understand. This question that lies before us is one that should lie behind us. The word is problematic for me because there's another word that we're missing, that, that words have failed us. And I'd like to use as an example, race. In the public discourse, there's one word to deal with race. Racism. Okay? That is the word. Okay, And it implies something very important. It implies something that we are past. When you say racist, You are saying, that is a negative thing, that is a line that we have crossed. Anything on the other side of that line is shameful, is on the wrong side of history. And that is a line that we have crossed in terms of gender, but we don't have the word for it. People are confronted by the word feminist and it stops them. They think they have to deal with that. But I think we're done with that as intelligent human beings. Being on the wrong side of history, in terms of the oppression of women, is being on the whole hall of history, all of recorded history. You're on the wrong side. You're in the whole chart of achievement, and you know there's the pyramids and then slavery, and they're actually on the same axis, though. That's so but you know there's enlightenment and the Renaissance and the Bible and. Nazis, they're down there, of course. Um, if you're someone who genuinely believes that women don't deserve or aren't as much as men, you're like the plague. Okay? In the big history chart, you're, you're the plague. Yeah. Big hand for the plague. Okay. But... The good news, you're not Nazis, okay? Because okay, because they had a plan, right? Plague doesn't have plague is just like (laughs) death, kill, horror. It's just just it's like one of those inflatable sort of car dealership, you know, tube guys. I don't know, rats, buboes, everybody die. Like it has no, it doesn't get it. It doesn't get it. It doesn't know. It just it's just pointless and deadly, okay? So. I start thinking about the fact that we have this word when we deal with race that says we have evolved beyond something, and we don't really have this word for gender. Now, you could argue sexism, but I'd say that's a little specific. People feel removed from sexism. I'm not a sexist, but I'm not a feminist. They think there's this fuzzy middle ground. There's no fuzzy middle ground. You either believe the women are people or you don't. It's that simple. And it's also the spe- specificity of the thing, sexism, we re- it's, it just evokes, it, ba- it basically evokes like a fat guy from the 70s in a powder blue three piece suit. Like that's what we think of. Um, misogynist. Misogynist. Some people might not know where the why goes in that word sometimes. And we should reach out to those people with, ed- with education. But more importantly, misogynist implies, very directly, hate and aggressive action against. And most people will not admit to that. They will think of a misogynist as a sociopath, as something that's an anomaly. Nobody is going to say, I hate them. And quite frankly, many people, most people, don't. And as we all know, you don't have to hate someone to destroy them. You just have to not get it. So clearly, I got to come up with this word. Okay? We need this word so that we can change the public discourse a little bit. And came up with a lot of good ideas. I'm not gonna lie, really good, good stuff, good stuff. Um, And, you know, obviously number one, like, you know, I like the rhythm and intent of pathetic, prehistoric, rage-fueled, inbred ass-clown, but... that's a lot to ask of a hashtag, I mean, let's just, let's, let's be honest. Second in line, genderist. I'm alone in my room and I come up with genderist. And I think, oh, I've cracked it. This is amazing. This is it. I think about it for a long time. Well, it sounds kind of like generous. That's genderist. (laughs) Yes, it is. Thank you. Um, But it really resonates with me. It really works. And so for two days, I live with it and I don't go anywhere near the internet because I'm sure somebody's already thought of it. (laughs) And then I finally do. Stupid Urban Dictionary. Um, Of course, other people have thought of it. Many people have thought of it. But I had never heard it. And I still haven't heard it. And so, unless somebody comes up with a better one, and please do, my pitch is this word, genderist. I would like this word to become the new racist. I would like a word that says, there was a shameful past. Before we realized that all people were created equal and we are past that and every evolved human being who is intelligent and educated and compassionate is past that and to say I don't believe that is unacceptable and Katy Perry won't say I'm not a feminist but I like strong women she'll say I'm not a genderist but sometimes I like to dress up pretty (laughs) and that'll be fine Now, so, okay, I've, I've come up with a word that other people have come up with. Um, and I'm asking you guys, to put it out there in conversation. <laughs> Literally, this is how it works. This is how we understand society. The word racism didn't end racism. It contextualized it in a way that we still haven't done with this issue. Now... Um, Does that mean that this will end the problem? Yes, definitely. We've done it. All of recorded human history versus one benefit dinner? No contest, Okay, So, um, uh, you know, enjoy dessert. Uh, uh, The chocolate Taliban is supposed to be scrumptious, really delicious. Um, It's not. It's not going to solve it. Um, That's not going to happen in our lifetimes Uh, I say to everybody in this room with gratitude but also enormous sadness we will never not be fighting and I say to everybody on the other side of that line who believe that women are to be bought or trafficked or ignored I say to everybody within the digitization of my voice we will never not be fighting We will go on, we will always work this issue till it doesn't need to be worked anymore. There will be, there are, and will be great heroes, great women, extraordinary movements, extraordinary acts of history. And then there'll be schmucks like me, (laughs) off in a corner, just working the words, (laughs) just trying to get it right. Is this idea of genderist, to do something i don't know i don't think that i can change the world i just want to punch it up a little
5: Hello, Jay. This is Perry from Green County, Indiana. I've got an activist call to action that you might like. I've been listening critically to your podcast for years now, four or five, I can't even remember how many, and literally loving it every time. And now, after much self-reflection, I've decided to take the next step in our relationship. I just donated my Twitter and Facebook feed to the best of the left. I have to admit, I love it. I love the best of the left. It's part of me. I'm a hard man to love, but you've won me over. If you're like me and have been enjoying and silently endorsing this podcast, now is the time to jump on the bandwagon. The planet isn't getting any colder, and the 2014 elections are about to heat up. If you care about the issues that Jay highlights as if they were part of you, make them part of you in a digital sense. Share with your friends and allies what is going on in your brain. Donate your Twitter and Facebook feed to the best of the left. Do something to share the love. Thank you, Jay.
3: Hey, Matt, up in Nagani, Michigan again. Responding to uh, your reply um, to me uh, regarding gender issues, and I... um, Explain that I feel more comfortable with the term queer than with the term straight. Um, I like the idea of, uh, of queerness being simply other than whatever. You know, you might have boxes on a census form, male, female, um, or other, uh, and queer would be the other. And uh, I want to say that what you uh, said essentially sounded to me like, no, you can't be that. Get back in your box. Um, what you're telling me is that you know more about my identity and my experience of the world than I do, and so you're gonna dictate to me that I'm not allowed to use a particular term. And I uh, I want to accuse you of a little bit of hubris there, um, thinking that you understand or know more than you do about another person without getting the whole story. Um, and part of what I like about queer theory uh, is the idea that everybody gets to regard themselves However, they like. Uh, And uh, another kind of aspect of this whole gender difference thing is that we continue to oversimplify things as long as we continue to require everything to be phrased in terms of binary. So you're either male or female, you're either gay or straight, you're either this or that. Um, And that's, you know, creating all these little boxes to shuffle the people of the world into. And the fact is that not everybody fits comfortably. Um, into a box, uh, whatever the box might be. So you're, you know, you're saying to me, no, you sound like you're just a regular, straight guy, and so get in your box. And I'm saying, no, that box doesn't feel right to me. It never has. I had a friend uh, when I was probably about eighteen or nineteen, um, very close female friend of mine who um, had been reading some books like Women Who Run with Wolves and Our Bodies Ourselves, and have, was uh, on this big kick about kind of figuring out what it meant for her to be a woman and what her her identity as a woman meant to her. And uh, he was kind of inspiring interesting for me to be a man. And I drew a total blank. I realized it didn't mean anything to me to be a man. I didn't find it empowering in any way. I've kind of gotten used to the idea of being a man and being perceived that way, and it's fine. I like it. I don't feel like I should be female or anything like that. But um, the little boxes of straight, white, male don't feel good to me. My feelings about myself and my view of the world um, doesn't really fit into that box. So uh, I just want to give you a little uh, mild scolding there. Um, I think you overstepped a bit. Nonetheless, I think you do a great job with your show. So keep it up.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. There is actually one more voicemail that I'm going to get to in a minute, but I wanted to jump in and respond to Matt. I'm I'm glad he called back to, you know, so that we could continue this conversation. Just a quick refresher. I'm not gonna play like a quote from his old message or or try to uh, accurately depict his intentions of what he said before. Instead, I'm going to tell you how I interpreted what he said before. Cause that sort of explains where, where I was coming from and what he was responding to. Basically I interpreted his call before as saying like, look, I'm a, a straight guy. I identify as straight and you know, everything about me is straight, but for political reasons, essentially only I, I want to identify as queer because That'll make me feel good, sort of politically speaking, and so I, you know, I, I talked. You know, my response to that was like, well, th- there are people who are going to have a problem with that, and I got a couple of responses, not not like overwhelming, but like a handful of responses saying like, hey, what are you doing, Jay? Why, why are you trying to tell people how they can identify? That seems to go against what you would normally say. It, se- it just seems contradictory, and. At first, I thought like, why are all these people misunderstanding me so badly? And then I went and re-listened to what I actually said, and I realized, you know, I, I actually sounded much more like a gatekeeper than I ever intended. My, my point was not to try to be the person saying, uh, "Hey, you know, st- st- hold, hold on, step back, uh, you're not allowed to be here." Uh, what I wanted to do was sort of illuminate not only what the counterargument was, but but purely just the fact that there was a counter argument um and the thing to remember about all of these discussions is you know like i'm trying to understand s- sort of the the dynamics of what's going on i'm trying to get my head around all this stuff myself and then i try to explain as best as i'm able but it's important to remember that like i'm never going to be the one who's like a victim i'm i'm never really standing up for myself in these kind of discussions uh, so I'm more or less on the sidelines and trying to trying to make sense of it and trying to make sense of it for you. So my intention was never to gatekeep on, you know, personal identities and, you know, self-identifying. I, I was just trying to point out that, you know, it's really complicated for anyone who finds themselves in this situation. Be aware that it's very complicated. So first of all, I totally agree that people are absolutely free to claim their own self-identities, the other thing that's true is that others are free to be offended or irritated or totally pissed off about it. That's That's just how it works. So you know, as Matt was talking about in his most recent call, like on a purely theoretical level i sort of you know i the idea of getting rid of all the labeling boxes appeals to me but that's really easy for me to say as a member of the dominant group who never has to worry about my culture being co-opted by anyone else you know if we were talking about race it might be easier to understand what a really bad idea it would be For a white guy to suggest that, you know, the way we should uh, try to get rid of racism is just to stop talking about race and stop claiming all of these racial identifiers. What could sound like a nice idea to an oblivious member of the dominant group may sound like an existential threat to entirely erase the history and culture wrapped up in the racial heritage of a member of a minority group so, like I said, my original intention was not to sound like a gatekeeper myself. I'm basically the last person on earth who should be given that job for a lot of really obvious reasons. All I was trying to relate was that if someone like me, who really does comfortably identify as a straight cis male, decided that for purely political reasons, you know, they, they wanted to start identifying as queer just to show what a strong supporter of the movement they were, then they should expect to really irritate some people and like i said i'm really glad matt called back and i'm i'm especially glad he was willing to sort of elaborate a bit more uh, you know on his on his own personal sort of perspective and and his own story because now i and everyone else listening has a bit better understanding of where he's coming from and it, it is much harder to you know misinterpret what he's saying this time around i i think that i misinterpreted what he was saying last time And now it's clear that, you know, although maybe the whole conversation of identity co-opting and all those things that I was talking about, you know, maybe that's still a valid discussion in general, but it may have been completely misplaced in this case. Now, to give context to the next message I'm about to play, uh, I want to remind you that, you know, many of you will remember the caller Jacob who called in. He had a lot of problems uh Basically, with the concepts surrounding uh, trans issues and especially sort of some of the labeling things like he doesn't want to be called cisgender, even though that's what he is, because he thinks that he should just be called normal because he thinks that he's just normal and that doesn't require a label. So. In the previous episode, I talked about how I'd had, like, sort of a bad day, and I was going to vent about my bad day uh, on the members-only show. So I did that, and uh, Jacob had called back in. He, he wasn't very much unswayed by anything I had to say to him when I first played his message. And and his response was one of the myriad things that I was complaining about to the members. And so in response, uh, I, I got a, an email and then also a voicemail from Tanya, uh, responding to that discussion. So that's what this is, and, and this is my new absolute favorite theory that I have heard you know, in, in a long time.
8: Hi, Jay. This is Tanya in Sassoon City, California. I'm responding to your comments about the second Jacob's voicemail. So you'd said that you truly didn't understand why he was so resistant to accepting the word cis, and I have a theory on what might be going on there. Um, People who grow up in the dominant culture, meaning white, male, straight, Christian, able-bodied, etc., they're the default normative group. They don't need words to identify them because they are the norm. So, for example, male nurse requires the signifier male because without it we would picture a female nurse. So signifier words develop only to identify anything that deviates from the norm – Absent a signifier word to indicate the deviation, we can all just assume that we're talking about the norm, which doesn't need a word. Now, the folks in this group occupy such a position of privilege in the very fact that their whole identity is normative, that when we start using language that seeks to distinguish them using categories that had previously been used only to identify deviations from the norm that severely threatens their privilege. The implication is that there's no longer a norm, they're no longer in it, but rather there's just lots of varieties of categories, all of which need a descriptor and will no longer use language just to explain a group that deviates. The old norm itself is now another group within a large group of varieties that all hold equal standing and respect. So that's a huge threat to the dominant culture, and that's why I think Jacob and others like him reject accepting that they are cis. They just want to hang on to being the norm, which now is being taken away from them as we start to normalize everyone. Thanks, Jay.
5: Very well
0: said, so huge thanks to Tanya for that contribution. I really feel like she dropped a piece of the puzzle into place for me. And I thought of another example that I think will really put this whole concept into stark relief. I am certainly not saying that Jacob or anyone like him would say something like this, because I truly don't think that he would. But imagine if he or someone like him were to say that he didn't want to be called a white man and insisted that he should only be described as a normal man while people of any other ethnicity should be labeled as such. You know, I don't know about you, but that sounds horrific to me, and I don't see the fundamental difference between that and the discussion of gender. You know, hey, white people are dominant, so why should we even be called white? We're just normal, Right you know it's it's only because of very complex sociological reasons that people aren't opposed to being called white partially for the same reasons that some terrible people relish with great pride being called white so the question i have to ask jacob or anyone sharing his feelings is is it not enough to live your life as the dominant group and enjoy all of the countless privileges that come with that? Must you also ensure that no one else even appears to be equal to you? You know, Because recognizing the labels that apply to everyone, including those in dominant groups, are a step on the path towards recognizing our inherent universal equality. So to oppose that really is essentially a denial of marginalized people's equality. Of course, it's possible for people to actually think that people shouldn't be considered equal, but that just makes them wrong and kind of assholes. But for what I would guess is most of the people listening to the show, it's an unconscious disconnect that Tanya was describing, you know, believing that people are equal on one hand, but being profoundly uncomfortable with the loss of that special place of privilege that allows a person to be labeled only normal and nothing else. So if you find yourself clinging to that position, I would suggest some soul searching and ask yourself
5: what it is you're really clinging to and why. Cisgender is just normal. If you have the reproduction organs of the same gender you consider yourself to be, that's normal. And I know that implies that people who are not are abnormal, and I don't mean to imply that, but I know that's a consequence of saying that.
0: So that's going to be it for today. I would love to hear anyone's uh, thoughts on this. The number again, 202-999-3991. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your account at donateyouraccount.com/slash best of left. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter, and for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the beltway, yet outside the Conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C. My name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com.
9: And
5: it's a and shame how we get so trained. We see past the sad stories. And